This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, it's William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today, we have Joe on from PwC, and our topic today is upskilling the 2022 grads, and I can't wait to talk to Joe about it. Joe, would you do us a favor and introduce both yourself and what you do at PwC? Sure. Uh, William, great to be with you. I'm Joe Atkinson. I serve as the Chief Products and Technology Officer at PwC. Uh, I'll be celebrating 29 years with the firm next week, actually. So um, so by that, by that measure, I'm probably an old dog around the firm, but the firm's been around longer than me, so I, I consider it even. That's fair. That's fair. So upskilling, you know, we're already talking about the 22 grads, which of course it's May, June-ish. Um, and so you got a bunch of folks coming out of, I guess, two years of COVID-related uh, college experience, mm-hmm. which is interesting in and of itself. That uh, There's a lot of remote learning that was kind of mixed into that. Uh, what do you, what do you, first of all, what are we, what are we seeing from our 22 grads? Well, I think the first thing you see is it's a very talented group of people who have been through a lot. Um, <laughs> it's, to your point, William, they, they've navigated a college landscape and a university landscape that's different than what I certainly had to navigate. And frankly, anybody's had to navigate. And yet here they are, they've managed to come through that time. They've managed to get their degrees and they are in the job hunt or they've landed their jobs. So from my perspective, that that generation of talent has a lot to celebrate about what they've accomplished. So how do we look at experiences? Because, you know, historically, we would look at undergraduates and maybe even graduates with maybe externships or internships or experiences that they had, you know, would obviously we look at GPA and, you know, classes they took and all this kind of stuff, things that we might care about. Um, but this this isn't the same. You know, we can't, we're not, I mean, you know, especially internships, I mean, unless you did them virtually, uh, you, you, you don't have that resume, you know, yeah. that, that I guess you and I would have, uh, you know, historically looked at in college. Well, you did all these things while you're in college as well. So what, what's your take on the experiences first, before we get to skills? Yeah, I look, I think the amazing thing is how many experiences this this talent has managed to gather, di- given the circumstances that mm-hmm. they face. Um, and, and kudos to a lot of companies, by the way, who figured out how to deliver those internship and externship experiences in different ways, in virtual ways. And we could we could probably talk the whole podcast about whether that's an equal experience, a better experience, a worse experience. But nonetheless, it's an experience that they're all building on. So I think they're bringing a ton to the table. And, and again, they bring a uh, set of experiences that has created a resiliency in this generation that I think is different. Uh, it's not to suggest that everybody has come through unscathed. Um, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of challenges for all of us coming through the pandemic, frankly, but they've come through and they're standing very tall in my experience and feeling pretty good about what they've accomplished. So why upskilling is in the interest of, of companies to offer Gen Z? Like what, why, first of all, why do, why do they need it? 
And what is it, what's the perception from the candidate? Uh, what would be the employee's perspective? And, and then also what's the perspective for the company? Well, I, let me start with why they need it. And I think um, probably the more important piece is why they're asking for it, because they mm. are asking for it. They, they expect it of employers today. Um, and I think the reason they expect it from employers today is that they know as well as any generation coming out of college that uh, what they've learned is a baseline. Uh, we often talk about college and universities, a place you learn how to learn. Right. And I think this generation <laughs> knows that as well as anybody. Um, and now coming in, the question is, uh, th- then you connect it with all the other macro trends. You, you connect it with the, the pace of technology. There are, there are so many pithy ways to talk about the pace of technology. The reason there's so many is because they all happen to be true. The pace is so fast, and it's faster than most of us have experienced in our, in our lifetime. So as a result, uh, these students coming into the workforce recognize that the skills they have today, the knowledge they have today, the tech talent they bring to the table today, uh, the reality is it is aging on the vine the moment that that you kind of get, get it in place. And I think the ability for an employee to look to an employer and see that the employer is committed to helping to continue to cultivate that vine versus let it just die on the vine um, I think that that should be an expectation of every student looking for a potential employer. Yeah, it's almost the questions out of the gate. I've I've accumulated some skills up till now. I I I will obviously accumulate more skills, but it's it's almost like as you were, as you were talking about, I was thinking about Moore's law and as it yeah. as it relates to computers and computer power. It's almost like we need to kind of think about Moore's law and as it relates to skills, consumable skills that we need today tomorrow, <laughs> next week, <laughs> you know, next year, et cetera. So um, I get, I get why companies, cause, cause again, it's almost like uh, I have a bunch of my friends that have written books and I've, I've written a couple in the past and, and uh, what I've told them, I'm like the very moment that you've published it is the very moment it's out of date. <laughs> so, so I, in a way we're kind of thinking about skills in the same way you've, you've yeah. been, you've been through school, congratulations you've got a, a degree congratulations and your skills are almost out of date day one yep yeah i it's it's funny the moore's law reference and i agree with you i think the reality is we're all out of date today right. it doesn't matter whether we're coming out of college or what we're doing in our day job we know there's something new out there to learn uh, there's another another one of the laws i always i always like to talk about which is one that amara coined where he talked about um most people will overestimate the impact of technology in the short term and underestimate it in the long term. And if you think about that combined with the pace of technology change, the, the all of that pressure, the V of that pressure, if you will, is landing on the backs of students and, and employees, frankly, across the career progression. So that ability to help people navigate through that, one, I, I would characterize it um, as nearly an employee obligation. We sometimes talk about it as a new 401k. It should be part of the standard benefit package for companies. And I recognize there's affordability and there's challenges and there's nature of different businesses, but the reality is that those pressures are all coming to rest on the backs of our employees. And if we're going to equip them to navigate through that, not only on, on our behalf, but on their own behalf, to put them in a position to succeed over their career, I think helping them recognize that reality that your skills are constantly needing reinvestment and that that the reason they need reinvestment is because we're just beginning to see the massive implications of some of these technologies on our business. Right. So before we get to um, 
some of the things that, that you're seeing in upskilling. I wanted to ask you the what kind of what you're seeing in soft skills versus hard skills. So the soft skills arena, I think, is um, it is a constant, constant discussion. Uh, for as long as I have been recruiting talent and and hopefully helping people along in their careers, um, I've I've been saying, as many many leaders have said that uh, you can have all the technology skill, you can have all the technical skill that you want, but if it's lacking in the soft skills to help other people see the value of your skills, help other people develop their own skills, help other people work in collaborative environments and communicate and all the things that you see, uh, then the, the most technical skills, it's not that they wouldn't have any value because there are places that very, very deep, deeply technical people can, can focus just on their technical knowledge. But in most business settings and most environments, you're going to need both. And I think this generation has a little bit of a challenge there, not because they've been um, on Zoom calls, uh, but more so because the rest of us are figuring out how to re-engage in the offices and on the Zoom calls and on the on the meets and the and the and the teams or whatever platform you're using. That that's a change that the entire culture of businesses has been going through. So the way that we used to help people develop their soft skills may not be as, as available to this generation of talent as it was to their predecessors, which means there is a bit of an onus on them to figure out how to close the gap and on us to help them do that. And uh, do you think that that's, I mean, a reason for some companies and some some executives wanting to return to the office? I do. I think that is yeah. probably one of the primary reasons. And if you look at um, if you look at collaboration and creativity, it's very difficult to do that without being in the room and sparking kind of the human connection as to how that happens. And if you look at mentoring and coaching and sponsorship, it is not impossible to do that virtually, but it's harder to do it virtually. And I think most executives look at that and say, well, therefore, ergo, the, the answer is get people back into the office. The question is, how often do they need to be in the office to accomplish those very important things? And I think it goes a little bit to the way that we're all working differently today. I think we're all figuring that out. We're figuring out the right balance between focused work, productive work. I think most of us would argue we get a lot of work done when we're remote in our homes or in our work, our, our remote workspaces, whatever it might be. But there is a missing piece. I love spending time with people in the office. I love the um, kind of unplanned, unscripted connection points where you learn something about somebody and you figure out a way to help or they figure out a way to help you. And I think that's the piece that executives are trying to solve with the return to the office strategies. The question remains, how much is enough to get that benefit without undermining the benefits that we've all unexpectedly seen from remote work at large? Right. And in, in every company and every leader is going to see that a little bit differently. And, uh, and the talent, no you, know, you hear, you know, the the revolt is they'll uh, remote forever, going to going to digital nomad, going to never going to go into an office, and, and and when you hear this conversation, you're like, well, you you that's fine, you can do that, but you almost do that to some degree at your own peril, of 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 learning some of the softer skills. And again, you you said it masterfully. You you can still do mentorship, you know, virtually. It's just yeah. harder. <laughs> it's just harder. It's just harder. You can do yeah. it, but it's just harder. So yeah. when when you think about upskilling, I mean, a part of this is kind of assessing talent and understanding auditing, kind of understanding where they are, where the organization needs them to be, what their skills, yeah. where their skills need to grow. 
And then I would assume that some of this is tied to training and development or learning and development, et cetera, yep. like putting them on a path. Yes. If, if all that's true, give us, give us some ideas on how in, in practical ways that that happens. Well, I think a big part of it, uh, for us at least, and most organizations that I've spent time with, I, I think come to similar conclusions. For us, a big part of it is understanding both what the organization needs and what the individual desires in their career. And obviously, it's great when those two things match up, and that's kind of the easy street. But when it, when it doesn't match up, sometimes it's about helping the individual unlock for themselves where opportunities lie in their career development. And I, and I always say, if, if you had asked me, you, you didn't invite me, William, when I was a 22-year-old uh, coming out of college. So I knew nothing, and you were right not to invite me, by the way. Um, but if you, if you think about what that experience is like coming out, all of us have the, the challenge that we just don't know what we don't know. There are whole roles and, and opportunities and career paths that are available to individuals that if you don't know somebody who has had them, or you don't have an opportunity to connect with somebody who can share more about them, you simply wouldn't know they would exist and therefore would never aspire to them. So to your point on the development paths and learning paths, I think that that pathway understanding of here are the ways that your career can play out. I think that's a really important part of upskilling individuals to get them to see the possibilities of their career. And then the second piece is, if you see your career playing out in step two and three and four, or whatever those pathways might be, what are the skills that are going to be necessary for you to take each of those steps? Most careers build on skills. The skills you need at the beginning of your career are foundational, but they may not actually get applied quite as often as you need in your mid or your later career. And so helping people understand the connection between skills and those learning and development pathways, I think, is an obligation, again, of, of employers. But I also think it's not just the understanding. It's establishing and building them and being transparent about what they are so that that individual choice component, what do I choose to do and how do I choose to engage and how do I choose to grow my career with this organization, that that piece is cared for as much as the organizational need is. I love that. So college recruiting. And the way that we've thought of college recruiting, you know, uh, in in some cases, you know, um, it is it is different. Obviously, the way that we fundamentally it's different now than it was uh, before the pandemic. But if we're if we're looking at folks, um, you know, as as we are with upskilling, we're looking for potential. Yep. In, in a way, we're we're not looking necessarily at finite skills that they have. I mean, it's great that they have a college degree and they've shown the ability to accumulate some skills. That's great, but we're all, but it seems like we're we're hiring for the potential or the potentiality of them building on those skills. And if so, then it seems like we would be hiring differently, or at least going to different schools or looking at different degrees. Um, what's what's your take on that? I mean, I don't. I don't you know, yeah. college recruiting was broken before 2019. <laughs> so, so we don't necessarily have to go back to 2019. However, if we're going to be hiring for potentiality and how to bring pull skills forward, how do we do that? Yeah, I, I think that is, uh, that is a really, really interesting challenge for all of us. And I, I'll make a couple of observations and I'll tell you the way that we're thinking about it. I, I couldn't agree with you more that the recruiting models it's a little bit of, of multiple um, kind of multiple pathways and some of them are dead ends. If you're in certain practices, certain practice areas, certain majors, certain colleges, certain universities, certain programs, 
I think a lot of those students would say, oh, I think college recruiting works great. I, I've gotten exposure to 15 different employers and I have great opportunities and all these things are terrific. If you're not in one of those, if you're in a university or college that doesn't have those traditional relationships built, built in, if you will, if you're in a non-traditional pathway that isn't a business major, an accounting major, an IT major, a, a cybersecurity major, the ones that the employers will go find you wherever you are right now. But if you're in one of the others, then I think your point on how do you identify and develop a view on potential is incredibly, incredibly important. And for us at PwC, what we've really been focused on is broadening out that lens about where do we recruit and who do we recruit? Um, I'm I'm uh, a proud product of a state school and, and I love the state school and I would connect with it as often as I can and I would hire students from there as often as I can. But I also have to recognize it's not the only source of talent in the world. And in fact, if I want to diversify my talent in every sense of the word, then I have to start thinking about different sources of talent. And that, by the way, includes people who have not completed college degrees or have not completed university degrees. It includes the community college programs that are often the first step toward college for many people who do not come from significant economic security. And if you add into that people who may never have even thought about going to college, but no doubt have potential, uh, that is a that's just a huge opportunity pool that I think employers are getting smarter about. But it's a process, and it's the beginning of a process. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting to the way that you've broadened it out. I was even thinking about boomerangs, people that have left for whatever reason. Be you know. How do we bring them back and yeah. reskill them and rethink of them uh, differently? Uh, and I love the way that you've basically kind of framed it up as okay. You, you, if you're blessed enough to go to a school that that uh, that has all these relationships, great. Yeah. Uh, if you're not okay, then now what do you do? And how do you get yourself out there uh, as a candidate? Um, yeah. I, lo I love that. So you had, well, and William, just, just your other point on boomerangs is a great one, right? Because I think um, in a world where <clears throat> we're all looking at a talent constraint in a way that, frankly, my now 29 years in the firm, I've never quite seen it like this. I think most people have not seen an, an environment of talent quite like this. But in that environment, the boomerang population is a huge opportunity. Now, but the other the other opportunities are people that have at different parts of their career taken the off ramp for whatever the reasons might have been. They they left their career in order to go care for family. They left their career because they had illness. They left their career because they wanted to backpack across Europe for two years. It really doesn't matter the why. But now the question is, how do we re-engage that population if again they choose or want to be re-engaged? Because those are all individuals that know our organizations, they know business, they know they know technology, they know all of these things that can help them and help us. And the bridge in that case is, is a shorter bridge, if you will. So I think your point on boomerangs is also a point on um, diversity of talent and really thinking broadly about how do we bring people back into the workforce in a way that works for them, which by the way, may not always be full-time and very often is going to be remote. Right. What do you think the manager's reaction <laughs> hiring hiring managers in particular right so recruiters uh job description you go through the laundry list of things that you need okay you go out and you cast you can't find it or it's too expensive or all the above and then you go back to the hiring manager with a slate ish of candidates that might not be any of the things that they were looking for how do we how do we mentally move them uh, to a place of accepting potentiality 
as opposed yeah. to finite skills or skills that have already been coalesced and, and developed, et cetera? It, it, it's a phenomenal question. It's, um, I think it's twofold. There used to be, I, I love the old pithy sayings because usually they come and go. One of them was hire hard and manage easy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think that exists anymore. I think hiring is hard and managing is hard uh, because the obligation to connect people is different than it was when met, most of us came up. The other, the, but the other piece is, is your broader point, which is this is the reality for hiring managers. Right. There's simply no choice. Um, even if you wanted to have a lengthy debate about whether this is good or better or worse, and, and by the way, I'd be in the advocacy spot for this is much better than the way that we used to do things. Um, but even if you wanted to advocate that somehow it was worse, the reality is talent has choices today. High caliber talent, high potential talent has choices today. And even individuals that have a skills bridge to make, they have potential and they have opportunities. So I, I think the reality is that hiring managers and hiring leaders and, and executives are going to have to figure that out. But it does come back to the to the core topic, why upskilling, in my view, is so incredibly important. We owe those hiring managers the tools that they need to, to get as close to managing easy as they may be able to get in the current environment. And if you can help them see that, look, if you have skills gaps in areas A, B, and C, we have a defined program that you can bring those individuals in and they can climb the learning curve in a in a tech enabled, well thoughtful, structured way. Um, then I think hiring managers are going to be more likely to take the risks, what might feel like a risk to them, which is really a, a, in reality unlocking opportunity for somebody. So you just described the Trojan horse of upskilling. <laughs> so the game becomes. The key is you never tell anybody it's a Trojan horse. Though. No, no. Now yeah, that we're on the you podcast. Can never, you can right. never tell them that. You can just say, oh, it's a horse. It's man of wood. It's a horse. Yeah. You know, no one really reads history. It's okay. <laughs> so you basically take the hiring managers and upskill them. Yeah. So you spend time, money, and energy and upskill the hiring managers, upskill the recruiters, sourcers, HR, et cetera, so that they can see the value of upskilling. Yes. I think that's very well said. And, and when I look at how we did it at, at PwC, I, I often use a, a farming analogy on, on the way that we thought about upskilling. The first thing you have to do is you have to prepare the field for the, the crops you're trying to plant here. And that is, that's awareness, it's understanding, it's, it's digital IQ, it's, the, it's just the understanding that the solutions to problems may be different than the solutions you've employed over your career. And then the second thing is you've got to you've got to plant the proverbial crops. You've got to give people those opportunities to grow. You have to feed them sunlight, water, all those things in order for them to actually take advantage of the field that you've just plowed. But if the if the farmer in this lousy analogy, if the farmer doesn't realize that that's what's about to happen, they may just keep the ground solid. And if they keep the ground solid, then you don't get any of the benefits that you're trying to get out of the crops. You know, your last question, but you mentioned uh, just a second ago, the reinvestment, um, our reinvestment, because I used to tell my mother this, that basically every five years, you had to kind of reinvest, you had to yeah. kind of make that cognitive decision. Am I, am I going to learn Snapchat? Okay, or, you know, okay, <laughs> whatever the bit is, but every five years-ish, you had to kind of make the decision as an adult, yeah, okay, I'll learn that. And, you know, it's always awkward and, you know, it's always, and then I'm kind of making fun of social media, but really it, it's everything. Yeah. You have to just kind of make the decision or you, or you make the decision. No, 
I'm going to skip that I'm one. Let that one go by. <laughs> yeah, just let that one go by. Oh, you know, people the years later will tell me about it. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, so, okay. so that obviously five years is way out of date. How do you, how do we think about that reinvestment of skills? So now we've got, again, we've, we've got hiring managers on board, recruiters on board, HR on board, and sources on board, et cetera. And now everyone understands the game of hiring for potential. How do we now think of how often we reskill? Yeah. I, look, I, the, the answer is not, not a helpful one, but the answer in my mind is it's constant. And the, the closer that individuals get to comfort that, they are constantly going to be learning. And I, I say this to students all the time. I say, congratulations, you graduated. Nothing has changed. You are still learning. <laughs> so if you think about it as a constant exercise, then the challenge is always, then the challenge gets simplified, frankly. So what am I going to learn? And how much time am I going to allocate to that activity in my life? And if it's what am I going to learn, that question should be driven by where, where you and I started this conversation. What's the development path? What are the jobs I'm after? Do I have somebody that's helping me clarify the skills I need to advance the way I want to advance? Whether that's in the organization, whether it's start my own company and do a startup, whether it's go to a different part of industry, whatever it may be, those that pathway to say, what are the skills that I need to build on to do that? That's the question of what am I going to learn? And again, hopefully in the best of worlds, it connects nicely to what the organization that you're working for wants you to learn. And then the second is, how quickly can I get there? And how much time do I want to allocate uh, in order to get there at that pace? And I think if individuals stay focused on the what and how quickly, I think most people are going to find that's going to serve them extraordinarily well as they grow their career. Drops Mike, walks off stage. Joe, <laughs> thank you so much for your time today. Wonderful topic. And I just appreciate you. My pleasure, William. Thanks for what you're doing. Absolutely. And thanks for everyone listening to Recruiting Daily Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live Podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at Recruiting.